Today's reading is taken from、uh, Luke, chapter one, verses fifty-seven to eighty. It can be found on the Church Bible on page one zero two six. Luke chapter one, verse fifty-seven to eighty. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the next day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father Zechariah. But his mother spoke up. And said, "No, he is to be called John." They said to her, "There's no one among your relatives who has that name." Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, "His name is John." Immediately, his mouth was opened. And his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, "What then is this child going to be?" For God's hand was with him. His father Zechariah was filled with, whole, with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, "Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come to His people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn for, of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He said through His holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies." And from the land of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors, and to remember His holy covenant, the oath He swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the land of our enemies, and to enable us to serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, my child. Will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for Him, to give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the path of peace, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. This is God's word. Thank you very much, John, for reading. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. Uh, chatting with a friend on Thursday, 
Um, he asked me my wife's name. I told him, Joy. He said, oh, that's a lovely name. And of course it is. But it reminded me in that moment of something Joy said to me a few weeks back. She said to me, you know, I love the name my mum and dad gave me, but I don't always like the way you use it. And she gave a half-decent impersonation. Joy! (laughs) We have a rule in our house that we don't speak with someone unless you're in the same room as them. Um, Unfortunately, it's not massively respected, least of all by me, when I'm looking for my lovely wife. Anyway, I didn't tell my friend that story. I told him another one. Why would I tell him that one when it cast me in a bad light? I told him how Joy came by her name. You see, her mum and dad weren't getting any younger. It looked like children might not be part of their story. And then Joy came along. And after that long wait, all that heartache, she was quite literally their Joy. Well, I've embarrassed her enough. I'm sure that I will pay for it later. But it's an apt place to start because we're thinking about another baby, two babies whose births have brought far, far greater, far-reaching joy than my wife's uh, will ever did. If you've got your Bibles open, look across the page to chapter 2 and verse 10, what the angel said to the shepherds about one of them. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Good news of great joy for all people. The joy of the birth of this one baby 2,000 years ago has the potential to change lives today, to bring renewed purpose and meaning to our lives. Uh, This joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness tends to come and go with circumstance. This joy provides a foundation uh, that will weather the ups and downs, the storms that life inevitably throws at us. So on the back of our service sheet, uh, some headings. How do we receive, take hold of this joy? Where does it come from? What does it mean? And having taken hold of it, how do we hold on to it? How does it hold on to us, living joyful lives that are authentic and lasting and don't come down with the Christmas lights? Firstly then, taking hold of joy, the promise of salvation. Well, I want us to imagine that this bottle of bubbly is uh, Zechariah, this elderly character that Luke begins his gospel with, back over the page uh, and verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now, 
Most illustrations have their weaknesses, uh, but this one you can drive a juggernaut through. Because I don't suppose Zechariah had much to do with this stuff. Not that drink is bad, of course, uh, but in his line of work, alcohol was probably off limits. And even if the uh, elderly couple did have a drinks cabinet in their house, chances are any bottles for celebration uh, would have been covered in dust because their whole marriage had been overshadowed with great sadness. Verse 7. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Every year, uh, we rightly celebrate the birth of many babies in our church family, rejoicing with those who rejoice. But how good are we at mourning with those who mourn, acknowledging and caring for couples who grieve, often in silence at the sadness of infertility, and single uh, men and women who would love to have children of their own. I think there's a great challenge for us there. But wonderfully for Zechariah and Elizabeth, there is a happier ending. As we're told that one day, an an angel comes to visit the elderly priest at work to tell him he's going to be a dad. Now, humanly speaking, it's a ridiculous promise because it was physically impossible for the two of them to make a baby. They didn't have the right ingredients between them. So we can probably sympathize when Zechariah questions uh, the angel, revealing his unbelief. But he pays the price. He's struck dumb. Now, remember, this bottle of bubbly is Zechariah. So on returning home to Elizabeth, wonderfully, miraculously, She conceives. She's pregnant. All these years of waiting. We're going to have a baby. And so the excitement begins. But pausing for a moment, uh, faith is to accept and not always to understand that any suffering God allows isn't without purpose. Let me say that again. Faith is to accept and not always to understand that any suffering that God allows isn't without purpose. And it was no different for Zechariah as his ability to speak is taken away. How might God intend that for good? Well, what can you do? What do you do when you can't speak? You listen. Yes to Elizabeth and those around, but far more important, it gave Zechariah the time and space to listen to God because God is a speaking God. That is the only way we can know him because he's spoken. He still speaks today, most wonderfully, through his word, the Bible. And as Zechariah likely retreats from public life, uh, no doubt uh, it must have been slightly embarrassing for the two of them. They must have been the talk of the town but of a few jokes. He had nine months to busy himself in his study. 
And as Elizabeth's belly swells, well, so too his excitement. As he studied his Bible, going from verse 68, uh, the Israelites being redeemed from slavery in Egypt, to King David, verse 69, and the promise of the Messiah who will come back from his line, back to Abraham, verse 73, to whom the promise was first given. So bit by bit, Zechariah puts the Old Testament puzzle together. He does his Bible overview, such that when John's naming ceremony takes place eight days after the birth, he's got it. With God's help, he's worked it out So when his speech is restored, well, of course, what happens? And I hope this bottle does it for me. You see, as his speech is restored, over there, you see, what happens is that... Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from it. He was off on one. Twelve verses, hardly without breath. You know what? I listen to this online and you get people coming up saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come. They've got that wrong. He was like a cork out of a bottle of champagne. He was often one. Here is joy. Yes, of course, Zechariah is overwhelmed because God has kept his personal promise of a child to him and Elizabeth. But that joy is dwarfed as he understands that in that place, in that moment in history, God is keeping a far greater, forever life-changing promise. Notice the first half of Zechariah's burst of praise has nothing to do with the birth of his own son, as you might expect, but another son who's currently in Mary's tummy and shortly to be born. You see, what Zechariah has worked out over those nine months of listening to God is verse 68. The Lord, the God of Israel, has come to his people. God has come that the one who is so often accused of being distant, he's not distant at all, he's come. That's worth popping a bottle of champagne or two, isn't it? The Lord, the God of Israel, has come to his people, but why? Well, you can't miss it, can you, throughout its Redempt to redeem them, salvation, 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 rescue. God has come to save. Zechariah talks in verse 74 about rescue uh, from the hand of our enemies. And if anyone knew what it was to be oppressed, it was the people of Israel, because throughout their history, at different times, under the occupation of the Egyptian, the Assyrian, the Persian, the Babylonian, the Roman empires, they knew what oppression was. They knew the the great need for freedom. So while there was a political, a military, uh, an economic 
a physical dimension, if you like, to this promised freedom. Much more, the salvation was spiritual. See, verse 77. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. You see, the greatest enemy in Zechariah's day is the same as it is in our day, that the shadow of death under which we all live. And it's not just a physical death, death, uh, but an eternal one, which is far worse, cut off from God and the source of all that is good. I can't live up to my own standards, let alone God's. I am fully deserving of his righteous judgment, but Jesus has come to save me from that. But this salvation he brings is not just what he saves us from, it's what he saves us for. Each of us this morning will come with our own worries, troubles, sadnesses, which I guess for some have just become a way of life. But can you imagine a day when you wake up to be free of those burdens? Because that is the promise here. The not wishful thinking, but certain hope that Jesus brings. Peace with God and his world. Peace with ourselves and one another. That life that we all long for, because it's what we've been made for. Free from all that spoils and grieves. Well, of course, there will always be cynics and skeptics. Jesus saves. Messi scores on the rebound. Uh, Richard, this is all pie in the sky when you die. But what Luke here, Zechariah, wants us to see that if you piece together reliable, documented historical evidence, because every verse in his song is just hand-picked from somewhere in the Old Testament, it adds up, it makes sense. The birth of Jesus Christ really is good news of great joy for all people. Well, the way we receive this salvation is by faith. Looking at the evidence and deciding for ourselves uh, that it is trustworthy and true. This is God working out his story, his plan of redemption through history, through real people in real places. And many of us have done that working out will be trusting this salvation, while others, that won't be the case. But I think the same lesson that Luke or Zechariah would have us learn here applies to all, whoever we are. And that is, our job is to listen, to be better listeners. Because let's face it, We're not always good at that, are we? I'm hopeless. I think my own voice is great. And that's why I want you all to hear it. 
but how much more would God have me be a listener? So if you love and follow Jesus this morning, I have no doubt that when the angel appeared to Zechariah in the temple that day, he was, if you can cope with it, he was a saved man. He was trusting God to deliver on his great promise of salvation. But at the same time, he was struck dumb because of his unbelief. I wonder, was that because he'd been ground down by life? The struggles he'd face, the great sadness of childlessness, prayers seemingly unanswered, all causing him perhaps to doubt God's power to deliver. Yet it was going back to his Bible, nine months in his study, that the joy of his salvation was restored. So I wonder whether that might be a challenge for us as we go into the new year to commit ourselves afresh to God's word, to reading our Bibles, to getting out of bed, to opening it, to meeting with him at the start of the day. There's Bible notes at the back, really always helpful, always been helpful to me. So do pick them up if uh, that will be helpful to you. And if you're not yet following Jesus, but there's a sense that there's something here, there's more to be had. Well, I'm not suggesting you follow Zechariah's example, uh, nine months solitary confinement uh, with just a Bible for company. But this little book that we've been giving away over Christmas is a fantastic read, really helpful. So do pick one up downstairs in the foyer. And as Rachel was saying, perhaps Christianity Explored in the new year uh, might be helpful to you. Again, there's details inside the book about that. So we've taken hold of this joy. We've seen this long-promised salvation being worked out through the births of these baby boys. But secondly, and much shorter, how do we hold on to this joy? Because it can be a bit like a bar of soap, can't it, slipping through fingers in the bath holding on to joy salvation worked out in service uh, John the Baptist was, uh, as, was one of only four babies in the Bible we're told were conceived miraculously okay how, we, how good are we so we got John the Baptist four babies miraculously conceived how good are we Christchurch We've got Jesus, yeah. Sunday school answer, Jane, excellent. Uh, not Samuel. Isaac. Lee Gatiss. Oh, Samson, yeah, well done. Round of applause to Lee. So it was perhaps no surprise that at his birth, the neighbours said, verse 66, what then is this child going to be? You see, something big is happening here. Well, Zechariah gives the answer when he finally gets to talk about his son in the second half of his song, uh, verse 76. And you, my child, 
You, my child John, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. You see, John's job as he grew up was to be a servant, to serve God's great plan of salvation by getting men and women, boys and girls, ready to meet Jesus as he stepped onto the stage of history. If Jesus was the bridegroom, John was his best man, running around behind the scenes, getting everything ready while keeping a low profile. You see, he was the warm-up act before the band, the voice of judgment before the message of salvation, the prophet of doom before the prince of peace, the plowman before the sower. And while John had a special job, his role was unique, ours is similar. Because our job is to help men and women and boys and girls get ready to meet Jesus. Not at his first, but at his second and final coming. Which, you know, if you think about it, because of all God's promises that have come to pass, as we've been seeing this morning, his second coming is now even more certain than his first. So how do we do that? How do we get others ready to meet Jesus? Well, in verse 74, uh, Zechariah says, Jesus rescues us from the hand of our enemies uh, and enables us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So as saved people, we are called to serve Jesus first by living holy and righteous lives, by being distinct, salt and light in our families, our places of study, of work, by living in obedience to Jesus' words, by putting the needs of whoever is in front of us before our own. And that is a compelling way to live, isn't it? If a person who is with you puts your needs before their own. Well, how attractive is that? And yet that is the way that Jesus lived. That is the way that John the Baptist lived. And that is the way that we are called to live. And what a brilliant time to put that into practice at Christmas, eh? When we have uh, spent time with family, uh, one or two who sometimes can try our patience and we find a little bit irritating... What a joy to push those irritations to one side. Because let me tell you, I don't know about you, but I'm far more irritating than my brothers and sisters and family. That's normally the case, isn't it? Serving one another by putting the needs of others uh, before our own. John was brilliant at bigging up Jesus. And he did that by making himself small. We want people to see more of Jesus in us, uh, his wisdom, his gentleness, his generosity, his patience, his humility. Because we want to do that because, like John, we've made ourselves small 
I want my life to be more about Jesus than it is about me. And it's not just how we live, but how we speak. John the Baptist was fearless in speaking out and pointing to Jesus. But we can be fearful. But we seldom find it easy to speak to others, do we? Even those we love about Jesus and our great need of him. So what I've just started doing is I've just started inviting people to church. Because I reckon the welcome we give and the songs we sing and the prayers we pray and the Bible we read and the word we proclaim, I reckon all of that is far more persuasive and attractive than any faltering words I can offer. And when we go for it and invite people along, well, you can just enjoy the conversation. Wherever the other person wants to take it, you go with it because you're not in control. And remember, what is our job but to listen? And if they ask why they should come, well, I may just say FOMO. (laughs) Fear of missing out. No one likes missing out, do we? I don't want you to miss out on the joy of salvation, the joy of living in God's world, knowing the meaning and purpose, the joy that he brings, uh, not just in the now, in the present, but in the future. We are guilty people, and yet God has given us a, a gospel that declares us wonderfully innocent. So there is no guilt in life and no fear in death. What a wonderful way to live. I want my friends, I want everybody to know that. So as we end, as we go into another Christmas, another new year, Will we learn from Zechariah for the need to be a good listener, to become more convinced, perhaps convinced for the first time of the truths we've been thinking about this morning? Will we rejoice in the salvation that comes through the longed-promised Messiah, the baby born that first Christmas, laid in a manger? And will we, like John the Baptist, Big up Jesus by making ourselves small. My life more about Jesus than it is about me because we're saved for a reason. We are saved to serve. And that is where lasting joy is to be found. Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, you are absolutely brilliant uh, because you have sent Jesus. You've sent Jesus to live the life that we can never live and to die the death that we deserve. Uh, Father, what a joy it was for Zechariah to piece things together, to see the plan unfolding in his life. And what a joy it is for us this morning to see through his story that same joy. Father, may we go out and live it today uh, to your glory. In his name we pray. Amen.